Charlie Bucket. Yes, Mr. Turpentine. I shall need an assistant. Come and give me a hand. We have here nitric acid, glycerine, and a special mixture of my own. Together, it's horrible, dangerous stuff blows you up. But mixed together in the right way, as only I know how, what do you think it makes? I don't know, sir. Of course you don't know. You don't know because only I know. If you knew and I didn't know, then you'd be teaching me instead of me teaching you. And for a student to teach his teacher, it's presumptuous and rude. And welcome to this week's episode of Say What You Mean. I am your host, Jeff. And I'm the other host, Jake. Well, we're after Christmas. We're after the Christmas episode. Take all, so you can take a deep breath. Yes, relax. The holidays are over. But we're getting into New Year's. I have to work 9 to 8 on New Year's Eve. Are you serious? Yeah. 9 to 8 p.m.? Yeah, and I worked 9 to 8 on um, Christmas, Christmas Eve. Eve. Oh, dude, no way. So for Christmas, I had just... I had to go to work Christmas night, which I've been doing that for years. So it's still got to be tough, though. Sucks, That's but, a grind. But then for New Year's, I uh, I I thought we had the thirty first off mm-hmm. um, because I looked at a list of days that we had off, and I was like, oh dang, I have all these days off. I'm good to go for the holidays, but I didn't have it off. So like a month ago, I emailed my boss and I was like, hey, I'm thought we had the 31st off um i scheduled a trip to go visit my brother um could i get at least the 31st or the second off and he's like why are you trying to shorten your trip if you only get one of those days off and i was like yeah and he's like you can have both of them off what so that's super cool yeah so for the for new year's i'll have the like friday saturday sunday monday tuesday off oh my gosh yeah that's gonna be a fun trip yeah and i always hate new year's because i have to like i'm tired and yeah it's kind of the same thing with christmas like mm-hmm. it just sucks having that schedule but now i can just uh me and jen and my sister and her daughter are all going to the beach for new year's eve oh my gosh I found that's gonna be such a blast my favorite restaurant of all time at the coast um for, i'm not joking for the last two years every time i've gone to the coast I've gone to this city just for this restaurant. Ooh, where is it? It's in Newport. Okay. But they have, like, uh, I love fish tacos. Mm-hmm. I love these fish tacos. And I've been trying to, like, find a place that makes them as good as this. It's impossible. Really? It is the greatest fish taco I've ever had in my life. So it's it's the best, like the best burger in New York. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I, I hope when I get back there, it still tastes like that mm-hmm. good. Um, but for the last, like, few years, I've gone there. And they've been closed for either they were catering an event somewhere, so they closed, or they were remodeling. Oh, or, my Lord. Or they were at, like, a food festival. That's got to be awful. Like, you've been, like, hyping this up all the way down there looking yes. forward to it, and then you get closed sign. Yes, I go to the oh. door, and it's like, we're not here today, sorry, and I'm just pissed. Well, this Christmas or this New Year's Eve party is at that restaurant all ages, live bands, so my niece can come with us. That's awesome. Oh, I can't wait, dude. It's going to be so What great. kind of fish do they use? I don't know. Just fish? Yeah, but they... Is make, it white or a pink? It's white. Or it's white. white. Okay. I, I prefer white fish. Probably like um, tilapia or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then they... When last time, when that one time we went, Jen got like a... a like a a greek dish and it was so freaking good really oh it's just so they just have like a whole like smorgasbord oh they're just crushing it dude it was oh it's so different foods hopefully 
I can get, enjoy some food while we're there and, and get to feast on that. But cool. New Year's. Yes. So I don't think we can get to New Year's without talking about New Year's resolutions and, and it as an it as a thing, but also if you do them. Mm-hmm. So what do you think about New Year's resolutions and shit? I think they're a great. I, I think they're a great idea. Uh-huh. I just never fall through. Okay. So I got to the point where like, because then you kind of feel down about yourself. Like I didn't like I didn't even make it two months into my New Year's uh-huh. resolution. Uh-huh. So I just stopped doing them a few years ago because mm. I hated the feeling I would get when I would never, ever make good on them. Right. You fell short of your yeah. goal. What about you? Yeah. Um. Well. So there was last year when I was like. I'm not going to drink till graduation. Mm-hmm. Not anything, not a sip. And you made it to that. I made it to yeah. that. And that was, I think that was like the, that was one that I had uh, as far as a new year's resolution and just made it. And I was like, it felt good making that, bet, yeah. doing that whole thing. Um, and, but other than that, I mean, that kind of gets me in the mindset of like, maybe I can do more. Like maybe I could be president. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't drink until from uh, from January to May, but yep. and then next year I'm gonna be president. That's right, makes sense. Am I too young? Logical leap. I'm too young, aren't I? Thirty five for yeah. president. Yeah. I'm too young, but in you can be a senator. Years, I can be president. You can be a senator. Okay, and U.S. Re- House representative. I'll do something like that. You got to be a senator before you run for president. Maybe. In this era, who knows? Yeah, right. Was the current president any of those things? No, he was not. <laughs> So I could do anything, Jake. If I cannot drink, I can be president. Um, so now, so do you, so you're not doing any this year. You have none. I mean, I always like to do some like easy things in my mind. Like I don't like to proclaim things because then people like uh-huh. close to it or kind of close to you that were around when you made the proclamation. Right? Are like, oh, how's the, oh, how's that going? Air. Put it on. Air. No, I am not putting put it, it on, on air. Record. No, I just okay. <laughs> so it was going to be. I want to read more. That's mine. But that got shut down real quick this last year was yours uh-huh or next year is yours. this coming year just oh, to read why one it shut down we're not even to well, New Year's yet. It, it got shut down because our library access got oh. got shut off Dude, from wsu yeah how interesting is it that you checked when i checked i just recently like two days ago checked i checked yesterday yeah, yeah i was pissed oh. mine's shut down too so i was gonna see if there's any way we can get access as alumni. I was going to call the alumni mm-hmm. and just see if there's anything we can do. Yeah, let me know if I if, if they I do because I want to because uh, there's a Facebook group um, and Dr. Lopez keeps posting all these journal articles and uh, I'm like and I click on them like you don't have access so I'm like okay well I'll just go search it in JSTOR yeah. I'm sure it's in JSTOR mm-hmm. and then I found. Oh, my, you no longer have access to uh, WSU databases. You can still read more, dude. I know I can still read more, <laughs> but. I want access. I mean, I I don't like I'm not a really I'm not a big book guy. Okay. I'm much more I like reading um scholarly articles mm-hmm. and journals, like journal articles stuff like that. I'm the exact opposite. Really? <laughs> I'll read them. I'll absolutely read them, but I just my goal has been to read more books. So, I think I'm going to start with that Supreme Court book. Mm-hmm. I'm going to That, hold that off. book looks great. I'm going to hold off way. on that one before I dive into that and because I'm going to take notes and I'm going to write in the margins mm-hmm. and I'm going to get back into that kind of academic mindset yeah, while I read that for book. For sure. Um So you're not going to read more. I'm not going to read more, <laughs> but I think there's one that it's just it's more of a life goal than it is necessarily New Year's revolution okay. resolution and that is get a different job. I like that. That's a good one. That's a good goal. Move, That's just move, move forward at yes. some point. Not yes. a lateral move. A legit like step forward mm-hmm. in my life. I have been remained idle mm-hmm. in neutral for a long time. 
I think that's a good goal, and I will add that one as well. Uh, but other than that, you know, I don't really. I'd like to say that I'm going to work out more, but it's hard on the schedule, and I'm a baby about it. Yeah, I am too. But I, I want to play basketball in May. That's kind of my. That is my goal. It just seems to be like May is like the not commit to the whole year, mm-hmm. but maybe commit to half the year. Yeah. So if I. Like the drinking, don't drink till May. Okay, I made that. Now maybe if I do a goal for another half year, then I can achieve that goal. So that's to get in better shape and work out and run more, and then start a team in May. If I have a if I have a goal of playing basketball in May, mm-hmm. I gotta work on it. Yeah. So that's kind of like sure. what I'm thinking. Yeah. But other than that, no, I, I hate how like people kind of hate on New Year's resolutions. I Do mean, they? Just as it kind of reminds me of like how we were talking about Thanksgiving, like yeah. it's just a fad thing mm-hmm. where everyone's talking about everybody fights at Thanksgiving dinner, and it's like, well, everybody, you know. And then there's all these meme jokes mm-hmm. about New Year's for resolutions. Sure. Yeah, I hate the internet. It's like you always see, like I guess signing up for gyms, like mm-hmm. gym memberships are always like at their high. Like gym, new memberships are yes. always like super high in January, and then February and March, like. <laughs> The membership just yeah. completely tanks because yeah. people realize it freaking sucks to go to the gym. Yeah, it does. When I was going regularly, I would always hate going around New Year's because it was always so, or by January because mm-hmm. it was always so packed. Yeah, and and, and I I would ne- it always take me a minute to realize I'm like, why the hell is there's so many people here? And then it's like, oh, it's January New Year's resolution. But then you know, witnessing that drop off is always super funny. Yeah, and and, and it, if. The, the one, like there was one only I've only had one year in my life where like I felt like I worked out more than I didn't mm-hmm. and the he, Jets must have been real bad <laughs> <laughs> no I mean I had people to go with and and then mm. so that that made it and we were all on like the same work schedule yeah it's when my 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 close friends Matt and like Forrest and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and us all worked at Fisherman's together mm. so we were all working the same schedule we were all hunting together so it was we yes. were all playing flag football we all had a reason to go um and it was funny because we started doing that in like in October mm-hmm. and then, and then yeah, it's being there before the big, the, the yes. big, the big rush and then yep. being there after the rush, it was kind of a little rewarding. And like, yeah. I'm still here. I made it through. <laughs> I made the it fall like, the fall off. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, I just, I hated going, I hate going to the gym. Why do you hate going to the gym? It's just like, you feel like you have such a, um, like the battle, it's like such a money. Like, you know, when you get that big pile of homework and you just don't even want to start it. Yeah. It's, I feel like that way about working out. Like I have so far to go. Right. That I'm like, what's the point of even trying at this point? Like, it's going to be like it's nine months before Dude, I even see anything. To. It's going yeah. like, to be nine months before I see like any sort of um, benefit right. or not benefit, but like any sort of like change. visible, like yeah. tangible change. And I'm yeah. like, I like food. Yeah. It's <laughs> like uh, with my goal in getting a team in May. It's like, you know me. You know what it's like. We're, we're still in, we're, we're students. Yeah. So I'll start in like uh, April. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, so, yeah, I just I just thought it'd be fun to talk to talk about. Um, I want to kind of switch gears because we, we do have a bit to talk about, I think. I think. I mean, mm-hmm. I did a whole book report for you. Yeah. Um, I'm excited. It's a book that I remember much more fondly than I probably should have. Uh, yeah, <laughs> because yeah, well, but we'll get into that. But first, yeah. uh, I want to get into and, and I think I've even on that book, just really quick, I think I've even like said, like, this was a great book and like recommended our listeners reading to read this mm-hmm, book. Mm-hmm. 
and I might have to amend my earlier statements. We'll get we'll get to it. we'll get yeah, to yeah, it. We'll but uh, so stay that. stay tuned for for this for our review of this book because I went back and list, read some chapters and you told me you wanted to talk about it. Mm-hmm. It's like I haven't read it in a long time. Yeah, I'm like I should go back and like read this. And I read like two chapters at work today. Oh boy! I was thinking when I was reading it. Uh, I hope Jake hasn't read this recently. <laughs> But but first we I want to get into this um because I think I just like talking about education mm-hmm. and um and kind of after we've gone through it you know both you and I were just talking about before we hit record kind of furthering our education and looking at master's programs or PhD programs so I think just naturally you and I are in love with being students mm-hmm. and we we like we like hearing the experiences of other students and and judging the way people do other things definitely um so you hit me up and you said that you got this article you had the same fiery hot take passions as you did with a common foul last night during the blazer game (laughs) (laughs) i i have i feel like mo harkless fouling right Mm -hmm. there was just a bonehead move yeah often in the worst foul in nba history the most i said it was the most boneheaded foul in nba history and ever in a regular season game and i said ever and like i'm sticking with that hot take (laughs) so hit me with what you got all right so this article came to me via a uh, a girl that i work with Mm -hmm. at fisherman's and she's was coming up on her first she's recently graduated high school last may this is her first quarter at clark Mm -hmm. and she i was i came up and asked her how her quarter is going she's like well i'm in finals week and i was like oh so what are you like what are you doing she's like we want to help me with my one uh english 101 final Mm -hmm. i was like sure you know shoot me the prompt Mm -hmm. so i she hands me the prompt and i start reading and she's like i'm like well and i was like oh so what is it on and she's like well it's on it's on war uh oh, and I'm like, I was like, so, and then the the, the 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 student the student in me starts like, oh, this is awesome because mm-hmm. my one of my favorite classes I ever took in mm-hmm. college was psychology of war, yes, and it's that kind of political psychology. Political psychology has been something that I still like get in, super excited about, yes. and I re- I'm constantly reading about new things about it and um, different topics within the field, mm-hmm. and. So I was like, "Oh yeah, hit me with the hit me up with the um, with a with a topic, and it's like open ended, and it's all based off of this." So it was an open ended topic, but it had to touch on something that the author of this one article, um, that was based off this one article that was written by this author named mm-hmm. Brian Ferguson. And so I was like, "Well, do you have the do you have the article?" And she gave me the title, so I went and googled it and printed it out. And I started reading it and I didn't get more than I didn't need to get more than about a page to two pages into it to realize that this is one of this. I'm sorry. This article belong does not belong. I think in, in a, your opinion, in my opinion, <laughs> this article does not belong in a, uh, in an, in any college class. Whoa, dude. Okay. So it's, did you tell the title? War no, it's so, uh, war is not, part of human nature yeah by uh, brian ferguson subtitle war may not be in our nature after all yeah so th- i thought that this was fun and um because this is a conversation you and i have had like in the cafeteria mm-hmm. about whether war was or not was a part of human nature if it was a result of statehood you and i got down a deep rabbit hole one oh, yeah. day one of our best conversations yeah i remember that i think that was like it's conversation like those that made us want to get into doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to know. I didn't get through all of it because you sent it to me last night. 
Send them to me earlier, dude. I'd, I'd I love to. I, I, I was racking my brain trying to figure out, like, what do I want to talk about mm-hmm. other than the joy of hate? And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this, like I said, and I was thinking, oh, this article, I want to yeah. talk about it. Not necessarily. Not, well, all we can we can break down the article and the argument and everything. Mm-hmm. I can disprove a lot of. I want to <laughs> attempt to disprove yeah. a lot of the uh, the claims of this article. Mm-hmm. But um, also, just talking about how I think. I I will never say that um, post secondary education is any way trying to brainwash anybody right. or trying to. Um, you know, try to give such biased and try to. Uh, just biased uh, work and propaganda, like basically propaganda mm-hmm, that is trying mm-hmm. to morph kids into yeah. liberal in- indoctrination. I, but when when you see articles like these, mm-hmm. and especially when I, you don't, you didn't have access to it, mm-hmm. especially when you have a professor who doesn't allow for outside research, mm-hmm. gives a very one sided. The, the the base article that mm-hmm. was supposed to that was the stu- these students in her class that were supposed to you're supposed to use this as a launching point right. for their paper it has a claim in here talking about um, evolutionary psychology it's basically completely it has one paragraph where it just basically says it's not a real thing it's okay. wrong okay. that whole discipline is wrong right so let's then, let's just start with the the overall arguments and and premise okay. before we get just, into to those. Well, just one really quick point. Okay. You, you didn't have the the you didn't I you didn't have the ability. I didn't send you any. Mm-hmm. You don't know what other supplemental articles. There's like four other right, articles, right? And not a single one of them talks about political psychology, the political psychology, or evolutionary psych evolutionary psychology mm-hmm. uh, component to this larger debate. Yeah, and I think that's really unfair. Are you just singling that out because you are so passionate about it? No, because I think underpinning this, underpinning the the argument of the the underpinning every claim in this article is a very Rousseauian view of human nature. Define that. Okay, so because you and I have talked about Hobbes and Rousseau, and I think that people need to know what okay. that means. So. <laughs> So okay. So you want me to Google it? No, no. I okay. can. I can. I can talk. Okay. About it. So, uh, root. When anytime you're going to try to talk about war and human nature, mm-hmm. in in or just doesn't have to necessarily be war because definitions of war state can, of nature is what came up. State of nature. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, anytime you're going to talk about war in human nature mm-hmm. uh, and human nature is it are, are humans naturally warlike are humans naturally more peaceful and it's society and mm-hmm. the pressures mm-hmm. of society that cause people to be warlike mm-hmm. you have to be careful because the definition of war can be so can be can be very broad right. or can be very narrow okay so really and, and i think the the author uses the term collective violence pretty well brian ferguson the author yeah of this yeah. of this one and that's collective in collective violence and i think some of my disagreement as i'm rereading as i reread this mm-hmm. from the second or third time is that their definition of war mm-hmm. is a broad is a is a mass scale war between sedentary um populations where you have two distinct sides mm-hmm. flying distinct banners, yeah. meeting on a battlefield and, and fighting kind of a conventional war. Yeah, he talks about like smaller acts of violence versus war. Yeah. And and kind of um, defining whether whether this is evidence of war or a single act of violence or smaller scale violence. Yes, but 
They there are so anyway back to yeah, we'll, we'll get to all yeah. of this. <laughs> put that put a pin in that really quick. Bing. So back to Hobbes and Rousseau. Yeah. You can't have a conversation about whether war or um, violence is a necessary. It will is a precondition of human the human experience mm-hmm. without talking without as a baseline talking about the argu- the the arguments of Thomas Hobbes and Jean Jacques Rousseau. Mm-hmm. And you have to put the you have to combine them because Rousseau, who wrote at about hundred years later than Thomas Hobbes, mm-hmm. both were Enlightenment thinkers. Right. Thomas Hobbes writing at kind of the beginning of the Enlightenment period, and Rousseau writing in about the middle to the end of the Enlightenment period, mm-hmm. um, which spanned from the mid the mid sixteen hundreds through the seventeen hundreds and into the early eight, like kind of fizz, started to fizzle out in the early eighteen hundreds. Right. So it's kind of like the um, the early modern period, the Enlightenment period. So. Um, Anyway, so Rousseau was writing in as, as a direct um, challenge to Hobbes' assertion of human nature. So both both of both Rousseau and Hobbes are competing theories, right? And Rousseau, I mean, Hob, we'll start with Hobbes. Mm-hmm. Hobbes wrote that I'm on Wikipedia right now. It says Hobbes was view was a challenge to the 18th century Rousseau. Well, Hobbes Hobbes lived before. Okay, I'm just it's John I'm just okay. Saying. That's weird. I mean, it, so, I mean, it is a ch- I mean, it is a challenge. It is but, a challenge, but but in the timeline, he wasn't challenging. Okay. So if you're on Wikipedia and you're looking this up, we're disproving that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, there's a lot on Wikipedia, which is why right, you should right, never use Wikipedia right. as a sh- source. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, Hobbes was was challenging the nature of because so, so it's important to look at the historical mm-hmm, context mm-hmm. of Hobbes and Rousseau. So yeah. Thomas Hobbes was writing at the time of the English uh, Civil War. And um, he he viewed that the the collapse of the absolute monarch would cause uh, mass would cause much more infighting between human groups. Mm-hmm. That you needed that strong centralized power. Okay. What he called the Leviathan to be over the top of humans as kind of an omnipresent mm. uh, presence to uh, curb violent behavior. Okay. Because. Because he viewed humans in a state of anarchy, which is to be without the Leviathan, without without any sort of overarching power mm-hmm. that outweighs the power of the individual. Yeah, that human that human existence is short and brutish. So Hobbes is arguing that we're innate, natural, just violent. No, he's okay. not arguing. He has he's not making any claim about humans being um, born violent. Okay. But a human in its in a in a in a natural state of nature. Mm-hmm. So where there's so picture yourself. You're in a jungle, right? right? You're and there's no government. Mm-hmm. There's no rules. There's mm-hmm. nothing. Uh, there's nothing. Keeping, Lord of the flies. <laughs> there's yeah. I mean, there's there is no centralized government. Uh-huh. There's nothing controlling you. Right. But there's other. You know, there's other humans around you. Mm-hmm. And there's competition over resources. Mm-hmm, there's competition mm-hmm. over safety. And I don't know your intentions. Mm-hmm. You're not my kin. Mm-hmm. You're not my. Um. You're not. We're not friends. Right. I don't know what your intentions are. I can only trust myself for my own survival mm-hmm. because I, because I don't know like if I want to enter in an agreement with you like I'm going to trade you some buffalo meat for something else in the jungle or or ever <laughs> right I want to trade you I want to trade you some meat for some like fresh water mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right I don't have any there's no guarantee that you're not just going to club me over the head right. and and steal my and steal the meat anyway mm-hmm. so it's this is all pretty shitty analogies but um the Basically, what it's saying is that you have you rely on self help strategies 
which are you can only rely on yourself for survival. Okay. Um, because Hobbes is saying, Hobbes is okay. saying that in that kind of environment where you only trust your little in group mm-hmm. or yourself, right, causes people to become violent because they don't un- they don't know what the intentions of others mm-hmm. are. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily because they're naturally violent or because they see somebody and they're like, oh, I need to attack them. It's because the there's something about the environment of anarchy that causes people to be violent. There is no like. Precon- there's no like precondition that we're born with that make us violent. It's the environment. Right. So the that makes the, the power above the the government or the monarchy or a system like that governing that. Yes, helps. some sort of some sort of hierarchical system. The more yes. Hobbes would argue that the more society mm-hmm. that you have, everything that okay. comes with society. Okay. Every time, every anything that comes with society, violence? the less violence you will have. Okay. I should have just started with that. That's perfect. Okay. That's great. I think that's great. <laughs> So, because you now all of a sudden you there's like you know there's there's a police force that can enforce mm-hmm. um, rule breaking. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to worry about there's something. There's always going to be violence, right? right? But the more society that you have dissuades people from wanting to act okay. in certain ways, okay. right? Yeah. So like I don't have to worry about you just shooting me mm-hmm. because there's a disincentive. Right. There's disincentives because there's a power above us, an omnipresent leviathan, yeah. as as Hobbes wrote, mm-hmm. that would punish you for acting in that behavior. Do you think? Do you know if like social contracts kind of play into that? Like yes, there is the the idea of punishment, but also you are agreeing to to, to s- abide by these laws to for your own. Some liber- yeah. yeah. So John Locke, who wrote up the social con- he yeah, he, theorized yeah. a social contract, um, was writing around the same times as Hobbes. Mm, okay. They're not they're not competing ideologies, mm-hmm. but they're not really like interlinked. Okay. Either. Okay. They're kind of both there. Okay. But they're not really like writing as in response to okay, each other. Okay. So about the mid 1700s, mm-hmm. John Jacques Rousseau mm-hmm. was arguing heavily against what Thomas Hobbes wrote mm-hmm. because Thomas Hobbes was writing in favor of, of keeping the monarchy mm-hmm. instead of overthrowing the monarchy, you know, Oliver Cromwell overthrowing right. um, the, uh, the King of England. Um, he in Hobbes wanted Hobbes was saying he felt like if the, the monarchy was overthrown, society would would fall into anarchy yeah. what he calls anarchy mm-hmm. so he was wanting to maintain that heavy absolutist monarchy over the top of the people because he said that's because of hum- humanities because of the the alternative is the environment that can cause people to become more violent right jean-jacques rousseau completely contradicts well not contradicts but argues, argues yeah. on the exact opposite of of thomas hobbes saying that man in his natural state mm-hmm is na- is naturally peaceful. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember now. Yeah. So, man completely stripped of any th- mm-hmm. any sort of um, jealous any sort of um, competition mm-hmm. for anything. That man, without any any sort of society on top of him, is has no reason to be jealous. Mm-hmm. Has no reason to envy or want mm-hmm. what somebody else has. There is no hierarchy sitting over the top of that person, telling them how to conform, how to how to act. Mm-hmm. And so that um, Rousseau is arguing that man. So in nature, humans in, 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 humans are naturally peaceful. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I understand it now better than that day in the cafeteria. <laughs> okay. 
Um, so you, but and he was. I think. I think what helps is that I don't know what episode it was, but talking about that that international relations mm-hmm. and like you know reaching out or not reaching out. You don't know the intention of the other. Yeah, having that conversation definitely helps me understand this conversation okay, a little bit. Definitely. Better. Yeah. So so Rousseau wrote in the mid 1700s as there was uh, a lot of. Um, movement against the church mm-hmm. and wanting more separation of church and state within France. Mm-hmm. Rousseau was writing in France, even though he was, a uh, he was, uh, he was genuine. He was from, uh, where the heck was he from? Genoa. I believe he was from Genoa. Okay. Um, and so he was writing in France and was very critical of the monarchy and very critical of the, of the very bureaucratic, um, infusion of the church and state. Geneva. Good job. And, uh, so, um, so it, it's inter- it's 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 important to note that the historical context of both of the writing right gonna, oh absolutely because I'm not going to say that either one of them are right yeah but I think it's an it, it, the it's philosophies an, they're interesting know, knowing the philosophies of these two is an, is necessary uh-huh. being able to sh- say this is Rousseau's argument of mm-hmm. what he says is that m- humans are naturally peaceful uh-huh. versus Hobbes saying that humans are naturally um, not really anything but because of the environment of anarchy. Um, can be are prone to violence unless there's society. So present. that argument that Hobbes is making is interesting to me because he's not saying that they're anything. You would, I think, I feel like you would have to say they're either and like chaotic mm-hmm. or violent, and so the solution is society or yeah. Neither neither Hobbes nor Rousseau, I think, wanted to make a very religious argument that humans are mm, born a certain way, right? Okay. Because I would say like that'd be like that that'd be say that somebody something bigger yes. created okay. humans that okay. way. This was very both of these guys were very especially Rousseau uh-huh. were very much um I'm not going to say they're not going to I'm not going to say they're anti-religion, right. but they were very much as part of Lightman thinking trying mm-hmm, to find mm-hmm. he, truths about humanity outside of looking to just having God as the answer. Okay. Okay. Right. Right. Um, that was very much like the well, of, especially of if the you're deer. trying, if you're encouraging the separation of church and state, mm-hmm. you're gonna look for for answers outside yeah, of God. They're not the saying that they're not saying that God doesn't exist. Okay. Neither Rousseau was was religious mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to an extent. Um, so was Thomas Hobbes. Mm, okay. But neither, but not, but they because many Enlightenment thinkers were religious. Right. But they were as but as just reiterating what I was saying, mm-hmm. they were looking for it's much. I mean, if, I, the best way to understand Enlightenment thinking mm-hmm. is go read the first like half of um, Frankenstein, the original Frankenstein. Oh yeah, nerd! You sound like mm-hmm. an English major right now. <laughs> <laughs> but it, that that does a really good job of, of yeah. capturing the Enlightenment thinking okay. that um, this not necessarily a challenge to God, but trying to find truths about the human mm-hmm. experience, mm-hmm. Um, separate of, separate, separate of, of God. Yeah, yeah. Pff, fire, Jay. All right. Fire. So now that we've kind of got a very long-winded, <laughs> I, I I tend to get way too in the weeds. That's about why I brought hops, it up. I love when you so. get into that. I know you. So you hopefully like you guys, hopefully you guys followed that. Yeah. Um. So when I say that this article by Brian Ferguson, mm-hmm. the one that was from English 101, is very much underpinned by Rousseauian thinking, uh-huh. I have a problem with that. Did you look Brian Ferguson up? Yes. Okay. He, so in his, like, I, so I read another, like an actual, like scholarly journal uh-huh. from him uh-huh. and he was saying like Lawrence Keeley, who's a um, archeologist, who's mm-hmm. very much in the Hobbes camp. Mm-hmm. If we're trying mm-hmm. to like make this a dichotomy, right. said like he even mentioned, and I've read Lawrence Keeley's book, War Before Civilization. Mm-hmm. And 
and Lawrence Keeley mentions Brian Ferguson in that book, and oh. then and then in this scholarly journal, he's I found responding. Him, Ferguson says Lawrence Keeley marks uh, labels me as one of those uh, flower child Rousseauian uh, philosophers, mm-hmm. um, and I'm like, yes, it's exactly what I'm saying too. Like you, okay. your 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 the notion of the noble savage is kind of. Um, permeates throughout this entire article which really even anthropology even many anthropologists Mm -hmm. today just like will reject this notion of the brian ferguson is a professor of anthropology let's just i wanted to put that out there i know know they didn't know listeners don't know okay yeah when we're talking about sorry anthropology and stuff and so he is a professor of anthropology at rutgers so okay yeah um and he's talking in this argument that you're talking about is with uh what's the what is the position? What do they do? Archaeologists. Archaeologists, oh, okay. which is a branch of arche- anthropology. Yeah. Um, I don't know if anybody. I don't know if many people know that, but archaeology and anthropology. Archaeology is just a is just a subsect of the anthropology discipline. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and in Lawrence Keeley is an archaeologist, an anthropologist, archaeologist, mm-hmm. and um, and so he's res- they're they're they both have very different takes. Mm-hmm. I would say that most of the anthropology classes that I've taken, mm-hmm. the professors have rejected this notion of the noble of the noble savage. Right. Define noble savage. Man is naturally peaceful okay. in, in nature. Right. Without the without when you when you don't put society on top of man and he's he's free to be who he wants, mm-hmm. man is naturally peaceful. Right. Okay. So this article. Mm-hmm. Why are you so heated about it? I'm so heated about it because it because there there's many things are disproven. Okay, and he contradicts himself throughout. Mm-hmm. I feel this came out September first, two thousand eighteen. So I just wanted to note that as well. It's pretty recent. Yeah, and and you're saying that some of the arguments he's made have already been disproven. Yes. Okay. And some of it might become because of his his uh, very narrow definition of what is of warfare. Right. Um, which I take an issue with. Okay. Because Do you have it, huh? The definition. Well, it, it just—I don't—he I don't, doesn't define it, right? But all the instances where he says war has occurred, yes, he's def- he's he's defined as larger, um, you know, basically established armies, mm-hmm. or it's not necessarily like professional armies, but established groups, groups of people mm-hmm. who then go out and meet on a meet on a field, yeah. and fight. That's not war. That is war, but that's what he's saying. It's a very narrow definition uh, okay. of co- of collective violence. Okay. Lawrence Keeley, who is kind of would would be a um, a challenger to Ferguson's uh, claims of this in this article, mm-hmm. um, Keeley would would say that war has been a part of humanity as far as as far back as archaeological records show mm-hmm. and that is and that's not and whereas ferguson doesn't has been discounting or it has been omitting mm-hmm. is that instances of warfare has been have been around for a long period of time in the form in different forms mm-hmm. forms of raiding mm-hmm. in, in in small hunter-gatherer societies mm-hmm. raiding was incredibly high mm-hmm. um you know sneaking into somebody's right, right, camp right. and stealing stuff from them that some that results in in, in deaths, mm-hmm. and um, I know Ferguson says in this article that those estimates are as high as twenty five percent of per, of the pop, of every individual like hunter gatherer group's population yeah, were killed yeah, in collective violence. Yeah, and he's trying, and then Ferguson goes on to say, well, 
that's not an accurate number. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Keeley, who's an archaeologist, mm-hmm. is saying that is very much an accurate number. Mm-hmm. Um, he, in his book, War Before Civilization, shows evidence of war all over, um, all over the world mm-hmm. at different points, dating back to our very early ancestors. Mm-hmm. And that's, this is where evolutionary psychology comes into play. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily based on Hobbes or Rousseau's theory, but it's basically saying that there are things in our, in our past, mm-hmm. in our hunter-gatherer past, our pre-state society past, that um, have created, as our brains have formed and evolved mm-hmm. over time, have created these adaptations in our brains. Right. That when certain environmental factors are met, we have there there are elicited certain behaviors. Like yeah, like primal behaviors that are ingrained in our yes, because because of the environment, evolutionary psychology. Yes, yeah. Over that over time, you know, those adaptations have formed in our brain okay. because of the because of the environment that our early ancestors That's lived. Because of the evolution that our early ancestors have lived in. Mm-hmm. This uh, Ferguson doesn't doesn't address this at all. Okay. Yeah. And at some points, kind of, and there's there's one quote in here. Mm-hmm. Where he says, once um, once established, it's on page four. I don't know how yeah, yours printed it. out, but once established, war has a tendency to spread with violent people replacing less violent ones. So I don't know. Is he saying I is I, the way I took that the way I read that is that Ferguson is almost saying that there is kind of a nature, and in it's saying that people there are there were warlike people, mm-hmm. and they're replacing they're killing and replacing unwarlike people. Therefore, now you just have a bunch of warlike people. Mm-hmm. I don't. He doesn't explain where those warlike people came from, other than like maybe they they settled in the sedentary life. I, I don't know. I don't know how you read that paragraph. Right. But so I, my my take is that like he's saying that there there is a that there are people who are prone to violence, and there uh-huh. are people who aren't prone to violence, right? Or I guess maybe people who have been. I guess maybe he's saying he doesn't. He's not really clear, mm-hmm. but. Um, is that he's saying that people who have been introduced to more complex and hierarchical societies mm-hmm. are are spreading and they're taking out and replacing people who are in small band size right right uh, right cultures okay and those people are less warlike and they're mm-hmm. getting replaced by people like more structured civilized people yeah he very he definitely blames war on statehood and the establishment of like societal groups yes so yeah that's his basic argument yeah and his basic argument is that um war becomes more likely between human between groups of humans um once there has become sedent- sedentary lifestyles i mm-hmm. mean people are fixed in fixed locations you have higher amounts of social complexity mm-hmm. and um so that that means you know established hierarchies um uh, higher technology mm-hmm. um so in increased populations, mm-hmm. religion, other mm-hmm. sorts of institutions starting to be formed. As those societies become more and more complex, yeah, the likelihood of war becomes more because you have now a, a higher need of, of resources. You start creating, you start creating this othering of he, as Ferguson is saying, you start mm-hmm. creating this othering effect where you start saying, well, those people are are them, and this is us. And you start experiencing xenophobic mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, and, for hu- and uh, dehumanization yeah. of the other. Uh, and all of that, he is saying, derives from the the creation of more and more of of higher and higher complexity within society mm-hmm. and and in uh, culture. Um. And I, so I just wanted to go through here, and I guess just 
point out some of the things okay. that so he you know he he admits that he doesn't really talk about evolutionary psychology at all mm-hmm. and he kind of disproves it and i think he misrepresents the the argument a lot mm-hmm. is that he's saying that evolutionary psychologists are saying that that humans are are born to be warlike yeah and yeah you you can with a with a small understanding of evolu- of evolutionary psychology's you know kind of basic argument mm-hmm. is okay sure that the, with those with those adaptations when yeah. certain environmental factors are met humans have a tendency to become violent and right. not just not just violence between one individual to another it's it's more a focus on collective violence mm-hmm. people working together to inflict harm on others mm-hmm. so what environmental conditions need to be met in order for that to happen or for people to band together and then go and hurt other people mm-hmm. um but what what this author doesn't talk about is that very much so evolutionary psychologists are not saying that humans are hardwired to become that way mm-hmm. or they can't or they can't overcome those those tendencies in a lot of in even some of the the most the most uh, well researched ev- uh, political psychologists would say that with, through education and travel mm-hmm. expanding that group, that in group, mm-hmm. in lessening the out group, of, right. of those who are in the out group, you can you can tame that fight or flight, uh, that fight or flight reaction, um, reaction yeah. from that that is that is triggered by our, the amygdala in our mm-hmm, brains. Mm-hmm. So to say that human the human brain hasn't evolved or had adaptations as humans have um, have over evolutionary time mm-hmm. is Ferguson is implying mm-hmm. i think i think is is pretty poor mm-hmm. i think it's a pretty poor argument mm-hmm. because obviously the the amygdala has f- formed at some point in our in our in throughout evolutionary time right. and it gets bigger and it gets bigger and smaller mm-hmm. in different case studies based on um how much how much travel or how much um uh, how much education people have the amygdala, the amygdala size in, in human brains can vary, mm-hmm. and and that directly that, that directly is related to how much um, directly related to uh, f- the fight or flight responses. You know, how much how prone you are to to those to those mm-hmm. responses. Um, another area where I just found some parts that I had marked and labeled. In. Okay, one was that quote we just were talking about. Mm-hmm. As far as once they become violent and. Um, Replacing less violent ones. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting because yeah. I highlighted that as well. Because I, I don't think there is a, 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 I don't think there is a human nature. Mm-hmm. I think there is, there are, there are certain behaviors that are elicited, um, that aren't necessarily universal, but are pretty, are pretty evenly found throughout mm-hmm. human, throughout different humans, uh, human cultures, since right. we all are originating from the same species. Um, so there's another, there's another place where i think he contradicts himself and i'll just read this paragraph here it says why though was there an absence of conflict talking about conflict in early human societies Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it turns out because that's what he's arguing yes yeah it turns out that many societies also have distinct preconditions of peace many social arrangements impede war such as a cross-group ties of kinship and marriage cooperation in hunting agriculture 
agriculture and food sharing, flexibility in social arrangements that allow individuals to move to other groups, norms that value peace and stigmatize killing, and recognize means of conflict resolution. These mechanisms do not eliminate serious conflict, but they do channel in a way that either prevents killing or keep it confined among a limited number of individuals. Okay. So, I would disagree. I would disagree, Mm -hmm. but to take a Hobbesian look at Mm -hmm. that paragraph Mm -hmm. and then try to use a, a historical anecdote. So you and I both know about the intricacies of the trade network that was present in the Pacific Northwest mm-hmm. natives pre-contact, mm-hmm. right? And then that was very much facilitated by a regional, like a regional hegemon. Mm-hmm. And I've de- we've defined what a hegemon is on past episodes, but basically really quick what it is, is that there's, um, there's like a group that is far more powerful than every other group. Mm-hmm. And therefore nobody, tra- nobody even tries to challenge it. Right. Um, and that would be the Chinook tribe mm-hmm. in the Pacific Northwest. And that hegemony that the Chinook had over, over the over that region, very much allowed for that trade network to, um, to happen, mm-hmm. because it what it did is it 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 because there was no other there was no chance of rival powers right. coming up okay. and, and challenging okay. the Chinook. Mm-hmm. The Chinook kind of set the the rules of the trade mm-hmm. and and allowed that whole facilitation to happen pretty much without mm-hmm. without a hitch. Mm-hmm. So I would say as much he's arguing that it's that all of that interconnectedness between the Northwest mm-hmm. tribes in terms of trade. Right. That would that would for me that that looks at more higher social complexity. Mm-hmm. You need a higher social complexity in order for that trade to go off to go off without a hit mm-hmm. to, to, to go off unimpeded. Mm-hmm. And having that hegemon in mm-hmm. the in the Chinook tribe. Mm-hmm would indicate a level of hierarchy that contradicts the very name. And there wasn't, so I should also say there mm-hmm. wasn't very many instances of, if at all mm-hmm. of fighting between tribes mm-hmm. in this region. Right. The, uh, most of the Chinook and a lot of the other regional tribes, mm-hmm. not talking about like the, the Nez Pierce mm-hmm. or the Blackfeet mm-hmm. over in the, uh, like the plateau Indians, mm-hmm. but the coastal Indians right. were very, were very, did not have, too many encounter violent encounters mm-hmm. mostly because of the hegemony that the chinook tribe had over right. other smaller tribes mm-hmm. that level of social complexity very much falls in line i mean that that's an anecdote i think kind of falls into the box of hobbesian's yeah, view of, of human nature that that he's using that ferguson is trying to use as saying well you have all this interconnectedness and this intermarriage mm-hmm. and that that's but he's but that that indicates higher levels of social complexity. Right, he's not addressing that level of He's saying that all of this is happening but it's still staying at a small level of social complexity. Mm-hmm. But that's very not as we as we as I'm pointing out mm-hmm. with the with with a very specific region. Right. That it's it's what he's that's at least that at least is a counter argument. Yes. to what he is saying. Yes, they're not just separate and then peacefully working together despite being separate groups there is kind of a power kind of navigating the way that the the network works or the way that Mm -hmm. groups interact with each other yeah regardless of if there's a law establishing hey we all need to act like this towards each other there's always there's still just that power that is kind of overseeing everything Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah interesting yeah, so I, I, I that was one area where I. That's a good uh, comparison. I like that. Okay, cool. Yeah. 
Hope that came across well. Um, my other point of contention with this article is that they they put um, way too much blame mm-hmm. on, or I guess not blame, blame's not the right word, but they put the author puts way too much stock in um, in the role that Europeans played. Yeah, I was this. I was like, uh oh. <laughs> as soon as I saw that, I was like, Jake's not gonna like that. Well. We all know the atrocities of colonialism. Mm-hmm. Yes, we don't have. I mean, we we could we could we could talk at length mm-hmm. at British and French policy. Everybody hates Columbus or, or, Day. Around, or we could we can talk about the the atrocities of the Spanish yeah. and the British and the Absolutely. French and the colonial infrastructure mm-hmm. and imperialism. Yes, we can. Yes, that fundamentally changed indigenous populations. Yes. But to say that they were somehow peaceful and in and didn't have war between each other, there wasn't mm-hmm. complex societies, is honestly like. That's that's such such a low bar. Like, that's so like almost he's arguing in, it's that almost they introduced it, the violence in the war. Not not completely, but uh-huh. he kind of says it. So I'm going to read a paragraph okay. here. Yeah. Then came European global expansion, which transformed, I intensified, and sometimes generated indigenous war around the world. Mm-hmm. These confrontations were not just driven by conquest and resistance. Local peoples began, I think that's the mm. key word, local peoples began to make war on one another, drawn into new hostilities by colonial powers and the commodities they provided. Right. That's so, not untrue. Yeah, we know of... Of instances where there was violence between groups promoted by, again, you know, looking at resources or access to resources or mm-hmm. access to trading with the Europeans and et cetera, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. But I think you're right in pointing out the problematic word is began. Yes. Yeah. Cortez didn't conquer the Aztecs by himself. In right. his 100 and whatever conquistadors. Yeah. He had no. the tribes of the, of the, of the, he had the help of the tribes that the Aztecs had their boot on yes. for centuries. Yes. Who then used, um, who then saw the Spanish being there as a way to usurp the Aztec yes. power. You see this consistently in, mm-hmm. in the British used, identified that and used divide and conquer strategies mm-hmm. throughout their colonies. Right. All over the world. Mm-hmm. And they did it in Africa. They did it especially in India. Yeah. They used the Sikhs to help overthrow the Mughal Empire and mm-hmm. then used the Sikhs to then uh, put down the Bengali re- uh, Bengali revolt in, mm-hmm. in the mid-1850s. There's, there's all sorts of, of historical anecdotes mm-hmm. you can point to where a lot of fighting was instigated yes. by Europeans. But to say that the Mughal Empire or the Aztec Empire or all the different Chinese empires mm-hmm. who were expansionist before European contact... Mm-hmm. It's almost like he's saying that before European contact, that indigenous social complexity was so small that they weren't fighting each other. And that's almost racist in its own self. Dude, I was thinking this at the beginning. I freaking hate anthropology. (laughs) (laughs) I've told you many times, but the classes that I've taken um, by some professors, I just I totally get that idea uh, or that sense of like racism, but also like. They're they're just dumb savages who don't understand, uh, you know what I mean? They just don't get it, and until they were civilized by Europeans, which is almost sounds like what this dude is saying. Kind of, but he's trying to say that Europeans like messed up their society. Okay, yeah, but then, but then he's also degrading their social complexity. Yeah, that they didn't that there wasn't massive amounts of like there wasn't ma- like incredible empires yes that were built in these oh, in these incredible like, empires in, in the, well i mean think <laughs> the about the aztecs like, dude oh don't even get me started dude but yeah i yeah. mean yeah he's totally doing that 
For sure. And yeah. he's saying like with, without the Europeans coming in and, and bringing this awful social complexity, mm-hmm. placing it on top of these indigenous populations made them warlike and, and ruined their culture. Right. Well, th- that culture was there. The, the Sikhs or I don't, I don't know what the names of the tribes were that were like part of the Aztec Confederation, mm-hmm. but I, I have a book if you want it. Cool. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> I mean, I, I need to know that. Yeah. I would like to know that kind of stuff. But to say that there wasn't animosity there right. or there oh, wasn't yeah. conquering and there wasn't p- regional powers and before European con- uh, before European colonization is re- mm-hmm. it's just honestly it's offensive yeah. it should be offensive like that should be viewed <laughs> as offensive it's ridiculous I mean honestly yeah. it's ridiculous yeah the, I I have his number here you want to call him <laughs> no no thank you <clears throat> okay so because it, because that's an interesting point I really like that I like picking that apart i didn't get that far mm-hmm. but i think that's that's well said jake i think that's interesting thank you um i think i don't know how much more you have to like dive into it i think the part you know i told you beforehand i might disagree with you uh-huh. before we recorded i think i just like, disagree with your <laughs> your intensity sure as far as like this shouldn't even be allowed in a school i get it shouldn't be in a lot of this in a school without Out the counter. Without the counter, I absolutely argument. understand that. Um, and I get it. it's a it's a one hundred. You kept pointing this out to me. It's Jake. It's English one hundred and one. <laughs> but yes, there is a lot of kids I who agree. are not going to be social science majors. Yeah, who are not going to be um, who are are not are this this might be their only only yeah their only exposure, exposure yeah. to this style of argument. Absolutely, and to not even give something that introduces Hobbes because yeah. most most of the supplemental readings that were placed with this mm-hmm. were all reinforcing we're that. all reinforcing mm. this so I was just you know we were texting and I didn't want to get too much into it but I, one thing I did do and I and this kind of supports what you're saying is I looked up the English 101 course description for mm-hmm. Clark and the there is an emphasis on academic research for this class mm-hmm. um i think that once you i what i the reason i kept saying it's 101 is because you have to take 102 yeah and 102 is where you get into more of that doing your own research and if you have a good professor they're going to tell you you need to count you need to at least address the counter argument mm-hmm. to whatever you're making yeah um but i just know like because I have I there, I have family who have taken this one on one course recently, mm-hmm. and it is very much like here. Just read this and tell me what you got from it. Yeah, which it's not really research. Mm-hmm. It kind of is. You're you're reading one article and then writing about it and making a conclusion. It's a response. It is a response, yeah. but it's a very fundamental writing course before you get into one hundred two. Okay, then make it a personal narrative. What do you mean? Explain. Or something. Like, don't make it so you're having to write a thesis and an mm-hmm. argument on all of that stuff. If it's, if English 101 is just about mechanics. Oh, it's not. It's about that. Cr- it says critical thinking, writing skills. I thought the, uh, sorry, I thought that's, that's what you were saying. No, okay. I'm saying that there is an element of research. And it says uh, college-level reading, critical thinking, writing skills. Um, oh, so maybe it is just that. Yeah. Um, there might be some attention to grammar, mechanics, punctuation. So I remember when I took 101, it was very much that mechanical stuff. Mm-hmm. There is a little bit of critical thinking, but it's mostly 
the writing skills and all that. But you, you're saying is, okay, if that's all we're doing, then take out maybe this influential article if you're not going to provide well, the counter-argument. It's highly, it's highly, highly slanted mm-hmm. towards the very, a very Rousseauian um, ideology. Yeah. Mark, Karl Marx was highly influenced by Rousseau's yes. writing. yeah. This this is not something new. This is, I mean, there is a lot of writing that is underpinned by Rousseau's theory of human nature. Mm-hmm. They might not all say like Rousseau had it completely right, but that idea that society drives human violence or drives you know um, class warfare, mm-hmm, it, it mm-hmm. Um, that hierarchy creates like it, it creates the the condition where humans become violent towards each other that that kind of thinking is is very much um it this this article is not alone in that but but this article does i think perhaps worse is that it misrepresents the counter argument mm-hmm. it it um oh yeah it doesn't cite sources mm-hmm. it, cons- it it throughout throughout this article it talks about archaeological research but doesn't cite anything mm-hmm. there's no there's no like you can find the study here yeah. it's not even parenthetical right. it's it, it, forget footnotes yeah. it's not even like this archaeologist said this yeah. it's just like archaeological evidence what archaeological evidence mm, yeah you did text me that Th- that's my other part of it and then the my very last point about <laughs> talking about social complexity <laughs> driving human um human aggression mm-hmm. and collective violence doesn't note or even attempt to explain the massive decrease in interstate war over the last 70 years right social scientists call the era that we're era that we're living in the era of great peace mm-hmm. that there has not in the last 70 years been a war between the great powers mm-hmm. how do you how how would ferguson go to explain that because you could say that there's never been at any point in in human in human in humanity, in the history of humanity, mm-hmm. a more com- socially and technologically complex right. societies yeah. than we than Western societies, mm-hmm. and why have those societies not gone to war with each other in seventy years? Right, it's the longest period of peace in human history mm-hmm. between major powers, mm-hmm. and so that either talks about so that is either greater social complexity is driving that, or greater tech uh, technological complexity, but. As Ferguson says, both of those are causes for increases of war, according according, you know, according mm, to the author. Right, right. So with social complexity, you have poli- you could, it could be political or mm-hmm. economic. It could be both. Right. But you, at what point have have states been more interconnected economically mm-hmm. with globalization? Mm-hmm. So why aren't they fighting if that's more if that is a cause if that's if that's a cause right politically with all of these international institutions multilateralism has never been at any point more um more prevalent Mm -hmm. in in uh at the international sphere which is controlled by anarchy Mm -hmm. um so now that you have starting to have more political complexity Mm -hmm. adding the un Mm -hmm. adding um plurality at the international level more more countries are having more of a say as the g7 became the g not didn't become but the establishment of the g20 mm-hmm. allowing more voices into the globalized into deci- globalized decision making on mm-hmm. economics you're having decreased um tensions mm-hmm. decreased uh, likelihood of war why hasn't that led to war <laughs> yeah I, I Ferguson doesn't bring that up in this. <laughs> yeah, and, and neither did any of the supplemental articles. Mm. So k- yeah. kids are going to read this. Yeah, leave the class after writing after writing something only using the the stuff that was assigned to them. Right, right. Thinking that 
society, what I mean, what kind of conclusions are they going to come from this? Mm-hmm. I was not sitting in the class, so I don't know right, what, how the right. professor was was uh, was um, was presenting the, yeah. the, was presenting this information. Yeah. But I can I can tell you if if I was sitting in that class not knowing what I know, mm-hmm. I would think, wow, look at society. Society causes humans. We, mm-hmm. we should have less society. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a whole other there's a whole other branch of research, a whole right. other a whole other disciplines mm-hmm. that are saying exact opposites, and not one of them <laughs> are is getting any credence in right. this article at all. Mm-hmm. That's my my biggest problem with this. It's like. <laughs> Amongst a lot of other things. Right. Do you remember your 101 course? Yeah. Nothing like that? No. Okay. Tell me about it. My 101 course, we had three uh, papers. Mm -hmm. One was like a personal story. Mm -hmm. story. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, Another one was kind of like a response. To an article. um, To an article. Okay, I remember that. And it was like, it, it was like bias. Like they gave us like he gave yeah. us like three articles from different news sources mm-hmm. and it's like you know pick out the bias and talk right. about the bias here and then the third one was kind of like a um and we actually had to do research and i think it was on a pr- it was a topic that he picked and it was um like nutrition like okay. nutrition in schools i want to say something like that interesting now that you say that i do remember doing research yeah and it was like i think it was specified like you could only use like JSTOR articles, mm-hmm. like they narrowed it down so that you wouldn't get down too much of a rabbit hole and 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 not be able to construct something yeah, within that time limit. Uh, but and they did give us a topic. I think it was either it might have been nutrition as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I specified like factory farming okay. when I did mine. Um, so yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, it had. I mean, this was a. This this is a fantastic topic. Yes, it's a great topic. Right. Um, I love talking about it. Right. I got super excited like yeah. when I was reading this because <laughs> I was like so animated about it. I'm like, I gotta talk to other people at work about this, <laughs> and like everybody was just like glazed over. Yeah. And I'm like, I was I'm like yelling about Hobbes and Rousseau, and like there's only <laughs> one person in all of the entire company that would care. And mm-hmm. he, I mean, him and I had a good conversation. But, yeah, good. Um, but it's just. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know how you don't talk about rating in pre-state societies, right, as being instances of collective violence, and mm-hmm. just completely omitting that from your argument, right, saying that, and then therefore not stating, including that in your definition in your of def- war of, or warfare. Yeah, does he say warfare at all? He does say warfare. Okay. Yeah, he says war, warfare, collective, okay. collective okay. violence. Right. He even says in his opening, uh, like his opening paragraph, mm-hmm. the word collective is key. Mm, um, he's not yeah. including people fight and kill for personal reasons and, and homicide. Raids absolutely are included in that, I think. But ra- raids is a group of people yes. deciding collectively mm-hmm. to go and inflict harm or loss on another group of people. Yeah, yeah. I don't understand. Like, I don't understand how you don't, how you just admit that. She didn't even, t- the, for, not a she, for, I have a really hard time with gender pronouns <laughs> when talking about articles yeah uh, brian ferguson uh-huh. uh the author how, i don't know how you i don't know how you admit that right. i don't know how you admit that um and then say that war started once humans became sedentary mm-hmm. you have thousands of years of of human history before that where rating was consistently mm-hmm. and then you have you could you could even argue so there's a great book called the ark of war by um uh, Levy and Thompson, mm-hmm. and and it talks about evolution not necessarily in a biological sense, but evolution as a metaphor that war drove social that war and and social complexity um, 
has had an inverse relationship through the first two, what he, they call the first two accelerations of, of human society, that anytime you had... So civilization, not that complex, not that social complexity was driving instances of war, but they were actually mutually exclusive in that um, social complexity was drived by new technology and warfare. Okay, so, yeah. wa- so walls around a village mm-hmm. were a response to you know periods of raiding. Mm-hmm. And so the walls... So then... The, the people who uh, ne- needed a clear walls mm-hmm. then created new technology to break those walls. Right. And that and now that you had more and more war and mm-hmm. now more and more technology geared towards war, mm-hmm. driving social complexity that <clears throat> um That's interesting. So then you but then you get to the third acceleration in the modern time in mm-hmm. the modern area. Now it's now that social complexity and war have actually now created an inverse relationship. It's flipped mm. to war now in in they're saying that they think it's because of um because of the technological innovations have gotten so good at killing people mm-hmm. that the costs of war outweigh the benefits of peace. So therefore, people are choosing to find other avenues mm. of war, like mm. nuclear weapons, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. France and in, in the United States, w- taking out any sort of economic ties or uh, democracy, which which facilitates, um, you know, more peaceful avenues mm-hmm. of of uh, uh, of taming aggression or taming tensions. Just the fact that both hold nuclear weapons, that mutually assured destruction element, mm-hmm. keeps them from wanting to fight wars with each right, other. Right. Right. That would be Levy and Thompson's basic article, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it doesn't. Once again, it's completely left out. Like, completely left out of this. That that fa- fascinating area of research completely left out of this article. Right, and and not even uh, not even given by this professor as a, as as a supplemental reading or anything like mm-hmm. that. Just there was such. I guess I was just disappointed for this this girl that works at Fisherman's that she was introduced to such a fan you know fantastic area of research. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm but it was only given one little side of it and not allowed to explore not allowed to explore it's interesting because you know my mind is trained to okay let's look at the author let's look at things he's written you know i immediately started diving into mm-hmm. that but it, i'm assuming uh, that's my training my years of training to do that you send me something and i'm like okay jake is obviously passionate about this let's look into it and these kids I don't know are trained well enough to do that. No. So regardless of if you're allowed to research other things, what I would do if my professor said, you're not allowed to look at other things, but this article and these articles. Okay. I'm going to look into that author and mm-hmm. I'm going to look into those arguments. You know what I mean? Yeah. Within that article, but that's just training, I think. Yeah. So with these fresh minds, again, we're not saying that, <laughs> They're manipulating minds to, you know, like we said, indoctrination. But I I think, I think it's, it's, it's not like there's some institutional, yeah, um, like there's, there's like the Illuminati pulling the strings above the universities, like let's indoctrinate these kids. No, I, I just think it, that's, that's it. On this individual individual professor, she owes it to her students. Right. When when introducing them, if you want this to be in your English 101 class, Mm -hmm. knowing how fresh these minds are, how much influence you're going to yeah. have over a very like very young um impressionable population of kids sitting in your classroom mm-hmm. you owe it to them yeah. to show them counter arguments yeah. because the prompt even said you're going to be great like part of your grade is is showing a relevant counter argument but gave oh. no but gave no i, I should probably put the, yeah. said that a lot sooner but then gave no readings yeah. that had that had any sort Ooh. of counter argument they had one there was this one article that talked about the just war doctrine 
but completely misrepresented what the just war doctrine is. Mm. And it's just, I don't know. It, it was, this was, this just was really disappointing for me <laughs> and angering. It, yeah. uh, it angered me. Well, I don't, you know, who knows what it is. Maybe it's negligence. Maybe it's, this is all that professor has been exposed to and not, you know, all the other aspects to war that you have an understanding of. I know that I haven't. Um, I, I just think, I mean, I think, Maybe she's reading this and seeing that the counter arguments are in there. I don't know where. (laughs) So here's a paragraph talking. So she has two paragraphs talking about he. (laughs) Shit. (laughs) God, I'm terrible. Um, All right. Ferguson. Ferguson. I'm going to read two paragraphs here. Okay. This is the only two paragraphs he talks about evolutionary psychology. Okay. If war expresses an inborn tendency, then we should expect to find evidences of war in small-scale societies throughout the prehistoric record. The hawks, who Mm -hmm. he claims are the people who say that war is ingrained in human society, which is a misrepresentation of of evolutionary psychologists. They're not saying war is ingrained in human beings necessarily. Uh, Anyway, the hawks claim that we have indeed found such evidence. Mm -hmm. When there is a good archaeological picture of any society on Earth... So humans aren't... like Evolutionary psychologists are not saying that that people were in our evolution in, in our evolutionary past were born to be warlike. Therefore, we we to are the us being the ancestors of those people are warlike because of those be, because we're born that way. They're saying that the like Hobbes, mm-hmm. kind of echoing Hobbes, mm-hmm. that the the environment of pre state societies caused people to have to act in certain ways. Mm-hmm that created adaptations in our brain right. that have formed over evolutionary times and why you see ev- evidences of war when similar environmental factors are met in today's society that echo that ev- that that are similar to the evolution to the environmental mm-hmm. realities mm-hmm. of our hunter gatherer past when mm-hmm. certain environmental factors are met we elicit certain behaviors and that has been evolutionary ad- evolutionarily adapted over time. Mm-hmm. Not saying that humans were born warlike. Humans have, because of the environment, were warlike in those that ad- that those responses then became added, then formed adaptations in our brain mm-hmm. out of necessity over like basically um, uh, natural selection. Okay. Through natural selection, those adaptations became prevalent in human brains. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Indeed found such evidence. We, When there is a good archaeological picture of any society on Earth, there's almost always also evidence of warfare. 25% of deaths due to warfare may be, cons- may be a conservative estimate, wrote archaeological or archaeologist Stephen A. LeBlanc and his co-author Catherine E. Register. With ca- casualties of that magnitude, evolutionary psychologists argue war has served as a mechanism of natural selection in which the fittest prevail to acquire both mates and resources. The perspective has achieved broad influence. Political scientist Francis Fukuyama wrote that the roots of recent wars and genocide go back to for tens of thousands of years among our hunter-gatherer ancestors, even to our shared ancestors with chimpanzees. Bradley Thayer, a leading scholar of international relations, argues that evolutionary theory explains why the instinctual tendency to protect one's tribe morphed over time into group inclinations towards xenophobia and ethnocentrism in international relations. If wars are natural eruptions of instinctive hate, why look for other answers? If human nature leans towards collective killing of outsiders, how long can we avoid it? So that's 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 the only mention he has of evolutionary psychology. Mm-hmm. 
and it's a misrepresentation of the argument for reasons that I listed. Mm-hmm. Dope. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> that's my take on this article. Well, that's why you got to be a teacher so you can give that balance. Yeah, that's a lot of work to be a teacher. It is a lot of work. And I, I don't think high school students, this probably wouldn't be something you could probably teach in high school. Oh, well, yeah, that's why it's college. Yeah, but I have to get a PhD for that. We can get a master's. And teach in yeah. teach at university? Well, uh, community college. Not in the local area. Clark, yeah, you can. Almost everybody at Clark's got PhDs. Well, yeah, they have them, but I don't know. I know I've looked at jobs and their minimum is master's, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, thanks for bringing that. That was fun. Send me articles earlier. I, wanna, I wish I would have gotten all the way through it. Yeah. Um, because I really like that part um, that we got into about it as far as like making the comparisons of different groups and, mm-hmm. and all that. That was fun. Uh, cool. Well, I guess we're just going to have to deal with a bunch of liberal hippies <laughs> <laughs> in the future um, running the world. Yeah. Um, unless I do. Unless you do. Yeah. Which you're running for president. Yes. Yep. Yep. Um, so do you want to get into the joy of hate? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Okay. So you told me to read this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I thought you read it a long time ago, and I didn't think you ever were going to. Dude, when I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to do I, it. Fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. You read it. So um, I have 50, 16 bullet points with some sub-bullet points. Cool. Um, that I just was taking uh, throughout. While reading, mm-hmm. um, so my what? I'm just gonna say I read this book before I went back to school. No, no, no you can't preface this. This is your like Bible. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, gosh, um, let me look something up real quick. Go ahead. This book, mm-hmm. there's many things wrong with it. Okay. However, mm-hmm. the subtitle mm-hmm. to the boys that is called "The Joy of Hate" by Greg Gutfeld. The mm-hmm. subtitle is "How to Wait No." Yeah, I guess how yeah. to triumph over whiners in the age of phony outrage. Yes, that is something you and I have talked about quite. A yes, bit. and I and I think for me, mm-hmm. someone who was quick to be triggered about liberals. Yes, when I was prior to going back to school, mm-hmm. constantly being mad at anything I perceived as a slight to my thinking, mm-hmm. always getting just quick zero to 60 like oh i'm gonna like get really angry and tunnel vision and yeah see red and like just want to like yell at anybody and call them snowflakes mm-hmm. um actually that was well before the term snowflake mm-hmm. was ever brought up brought around in our political discourse we'll, we'll never recover <laughs> but uh this book did help me see if this book did one thing for me mm-hmm. and that's the one thing i remember it for mm-hmm. so i probably see this book with rose tinted glasses right is that it made me see that being angry i'm i'm angry all of that anger was misplaced like i was being angry because i felt that i should be angry because i it was an attack on republicans it was mm-hmm. an attack on what i my my how i visioned america that is interesting because the all i got was that you're supposed to feel like that i felt like throughout the book he's validating that it's okay that you felt like that really yeah okay <laughs> But it's interesting that, that, I mean, I don't care what the book says. If that's the lesson you learn, like, whoa, maybe I'm kind of being a baby about it. Mm-hmm. Um, if that's the lesson you took, then that's great. But the whole time I'm reading this, I'm not joking, Jake. There was one point where I was like, I might stop. But I powered through it. And I finished it. 
You're, yeah. I read I, every I read, word. I read two paragraphs. Um, no, sorry. I read two chapters uh-huh. uh, at work today, yeah. getting ready, kind of ready for this. And one of them was, to Obama, Borders was nothing but a bookstore. Mm, yeah. So that, you let's go through I got your, notes like, on that. All right, yeah. Let's go through your one thing I want to say real quick <laughs> is uh you told me that it gets better as it went. Oh, it definitely got worse. Oh, it got way worse. I honestly feel he started off strong within the first few mm-hmm. chapters. Like uh even if what chapter is that? The Obama Borders one. Yeah, it doesn't have chapter numbers, oh. but but even regardless, uh not your regardless, I didn't say that. I meant I said, regardless, <laughs> regardless, I felt that um, just within the first few chapters, I was like, OK, I can see where he was coming from. Um, I'll preface this by saying that he was a Fox News commentator um, and kind of the overview that I have up here right now says, Greg Gottfeld hates artificial tolerance at the root of every single major political conflict is the annoying codding Americans m- must endure of these harebrained liberal hypocrisies in fact most of the time liberals use the mantle of tolerance as a guise for their uh, pathetic intolerance and what we really need is smart intolerance or Gutfeld reminds us what we need to call common sense so I think that one point that he makes is um, I really liked his his idea of the very thin line of tolerance and intolerance. Mm-hmm. Like the more that you say that you're tolerant, that m- can morph into being intolerant of something. Yeah. Which I thought was great. And that was early in the book. And I was like, oh, that is good. Um, <laughs> first note I have, uh, he seems like he likes to joke a lot. And mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Um, I appreciate the comedy and humor. However, some of the things he says are kind of misogynistic. And um, he may mean them. (laughs) (laughs) I I watched, he had two shows. When Mm -hmm. he wrote this book, he had two shows on Fox News. He was, um, he originally, he hosted a show called Red Eye, Mm -hmm. which I loved. Um, It was very satirical. It was on at like midnight. He always had crazy guests, many of them comedians. Um, He actually had Tom DeLonge on at one point. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, just insane guests. He had this guy named TV's Andy Levy who would like do like the, the halftime report and then you do like the end game report. Anyway, it was, it was a fun show. Mm -hmm. Uh, he He talks about those shows. He talks about having like different liberal, like, uh, uh, punk rock bands or lead singers of bands and stuff. Yeah. He had, he had a wide variety of people from all He also wants you to praise him for being so open and having those guests (laughs) on his show, which he wrote about in this book. Okay. (laughs) Like I said, it's been a long time since I wrote. I read yeah. this, but um, and then he got on. Then he was the co-host on the Five, which is a daytime, mm-hmm. uh, daytime where just five people sitting around a table, right. and it comes on at five Eastern time. Um, he was always a good. He started out being a really good, um, kind of counter towards the very dominant right wing, mm-hmm. um, thinking the very orthodox conservatives that were on the panel yeah um but it's definitely over time has become i don't know if it's it's job security or if he's just sort of changed his Mm -hmm. way of thinking but he does he has become much much more 
towing the party line. That's what you were saying. Yeah. Yeah. You don't like what he's kind of become. Um, so the second notes I have, I, I wrote that I, I, I did like the idea of the blurred line between tolerance and intolerance. Yep. Um, he has this idea of forced tolerance leads to intolerance, which again, I really like that mm-hmm. because if you're forcing someone to accept something, then it just leads to more intolerance of another. Yeah. Um, I really like that. Uh, I also thought it was interesting and I wrote this early <laughs> that uh, early in the book that it was published in 2012 because that idea of tolerance and intolerance mm-hmm. kind of that blurred line we see that today. Yeah. You can totally apply that idea today. Mm-hmm. Um, so then he has this point of uh, PETA protesting a white man. And okay, this is another thing is his, the racial things he gets into. I, <sighs> PETA protesting white man in Uggs, but not native Americans in headdress and clothing made of animals. Um, regardless of race and, 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 identity and all that i think that that's an interesting point Mm -hmm. Uh, if pete is going to stand for something and fight against it but not you know they're you know what i mean even with an answer definitely with an anthropology they um there definitely does seem to be a one standard that's held for western civilizations Mm -hmm. and then they ignore things that would be completely like seen as illegal in Western societies. They like, well, that's just, you know, general mutilation in Africa yeah. and sub-Saharan oh, Africa okay. is something that though we don't like it, we just ignore it and let it happen. Mm, interesting point. Very well said. Um, so this is where it shifts. <laughs> um, and I, it's before page 22. Um, but I think that this is the one thing that I can point to that, that, that defines or shows who he is, and it's interesting that he includes it. He tells a story about when he was in a fraternity Mm -hmm. and being attacked by protesters, um, women's rights protesters, Mm -hmm. shouting no means no at him. Um, And he talks about, like, he was just walking by, and they were, like, screaming at him and attacking him. And he in the book, he says, like, I had never done anything like that towards a woman, or a woman, but here's a group of women because I'm in a fraternity, they're attacking me. That premise right there of him being attacked or feeling like the victim, which is the point I make later, is if you're writing a book about hating being a little bitch, mm-hmm. he's kind of a little bitch <laughs> because he that's one example of him being taking his um point of view of being victimized in something and now pushing him towards hating people whining that didn't come off well uh, <laughs> so, no I, I know what you I yeah. know what you said um yeah he's whining about people whining towards him so what would i guess his he should have just ignored it. I mean, right. yeah. I but, mean, I, but I think that that stems from, okay, I think that that one instance of being attacked or being not attacked. Mm-hmm. I mean, can we really say attacked if people are just yelling at you? Yeah. Um, but that instance, I, I don't know. I see a lot of what he says towards women. I can always refer it back to kind of his the way that he writes about that instance. Sure. Which I think is interesting. He constantly says stuff that comes across as really off color. Mm -hmm. And I think unless, unless you've watched him a lot and you've read him a lot, you're going to 
think he's being serious. Yes. And I don't know how... It, it's hard to tell. It is. Him. And that's why I said yeah. my first point was he's making a lot of jokes and he's got a lot of humor in it, mm-hmm. um, which I appreciate. But I think... And some of the jokes are pretty good with that throughout the book. But some of them, I'm like, ooh, uh, you know what I mean? It's off color. I'm, I'm not offended by it i'm not mad about it i'm just saying like you're 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 toeing the line there and maybe he's just doing it because it's a book about you know Mm -hmm. pushing that pushing those limits um but he talks about that instance of of the liberals and the women attacking him no means no being kind of what shifted him towards republicanism Mm -hmm. and um but then of course I have here, he ultimately identifies as a libertarian at this point. Yeah. Which, of course, he does. Oh, don't get me started on that <laughs> crap. Um, so then I have a quote here from page 22. Um, I once said to Kylie, I thought that Greg Gutfeld was the one true libertarian. Oh, interesting. Okay. I, I might be wrong. I might right. just be completely wrong because yeah. he's not anymore. Right. But uh, I felt after reading this book that he <laughs> that he was. But yeah. Anyway, so the quote I have is the offense they deem offensive doesn't have to be offensive as long as someone might construe it as offensive or rather misconstrue. OK, how do you how do you take that? Um. So I, I I mean, it's it's interesting because that's kind of the theme that comes up and over and over is if he he doesn't like the fact that. If one person deems it offensive, then it's offensive. Mm-hmm. Or if it's, or if a joke, he, I think he's talking about humor at this point. If a joke is offensive or misconstrued as offensive, yeah, then there, there's the requirement of apology or backtracking. Yeah, <clears throat> I think in society, I think that's a, a major complaint amongst conservatives mm-hmm. who feel that anytime one person complains about a cross being in a public building the cross has to come down right. i think they view it as a and as attack on their own culture mm-hmm. that it's being that and gutfeld makes this point kind of throughout is that the intolerati is what he calls yes, them yes um want to control they're basically they're using this um everything's offensive everything like i but you need to be tolerant of everybody mm-hmm. as as a way to control american culture and america and and uh the and discourse yes so i i, mean, I don't know you I, it sounds like you probably obviously there's a lot of uh there's a lot of room there to to, to discuss yeah. and, and argue and back and forth but i think that um when he when he does say like when one person like the point that you brought up mm-hmm. that you did that quote you read mm-hmm. that one person complains and therefore we're all required to change right i think then gets taken by the people who call themselves the silent majority, the mm-hmm. Trump supporters, mm-hmm. right? The people they call themselves the silent majority, then take this because a lot of these people who are going to read this book and head not through the entire thing, yes. probably voted for Trump Ooh, because yeah, they felt that. like they were victimized, like yeah. they're victimized by a my like the minorities, the the immigrants that are moving here, mm-hmm. the transgender like gender, transgender liberals, mm-hmm. all these people who are minority groups mm-hmm. are are telling the majority how to live their lives. And then we have to completely change for people who don't want to change for us or don't Mm -hmm. want to, who don't want to listen to our points of view. And I think that right there is the point of the intolerance. I think when you're forcing people to be tolerant of something that is intolerant. Yes. That's what I, I, yeah, but, and then where does the, but then you, then the, 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 and I want to get what you think on this is like, where does the line be drawn? Because then the counter argument, somebody who would say like, well, 
I need to, I, I have the right to be intolerant of a person who thinks that trans transgender people shouldn't be able to use the bathroom that they mm. identify of, of the gender that they aden- identify with. Mm-hmm. That people, someone who would deny that person that right, right, that's intolerant in itself. So therefore, I have the right to be intolerant towards that intolerant level of thinking. <laughs> Did we just enter the Matrix or Inception? I think so. so many I, don't, levels. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think that that's a that's why I said it's a thin line. Like you, you, <clears throat> it's dangerous. Um, but uh, I, you know, I mean, there's force tolerance, which makes sense. I mean especially in a society where they're intolerant of now we look at it, you know, just anecdotally like, uh, segregation and Mm -hmm. Jim, Jim Crow or whatever. Yeah. Now we look at it and we're like, of course that makes no sense. Of course you would, you would have forced tolerance Mm -hmm. as far as legally. But at the time that forced tolerance may, uh, if we're going with what I'm saying, may be viewed as intolerant. Sure. You know, Mm-hmm. So I don't. I think it's tricky. I think it's hard, but um, I think that I don't know. It's it's dangerous, but it gets to like I, I just think about our conversation about the warnings, the trigger mm-hmm. warnings. You know, like yeah, that, that's propped up for me a few times. Yeah, reading, reading, rereading parts of this book. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then I also have. Um, uh, so he's talking about voter ID laws. Which mm-hmm. I thought was also interesting. Ah, yes, I read, I reread. That was all part. That was in the chapter to Obama. Borders was nothing but mm, a bookstore. Yes, which he talks about borders for a page and a half, and then gets into voter ID laws. Yeah. He doesn't stay focused throughout this in this chapter, no. and it's like a four-page chapter. Yeah. Um. So I said I get the notions behind the desire for voter ID laws. Yes. In his argument, mm-hmm. but. As we've explored on To the Republic, voter fraud laws are largely a solution to a minuscule problem. Mm-hmm. And he, I, I get what he's saying when he's making these arguments for laws. And if, as far as like, if you're going to require ID for this, why aren't you going to require ID for that? Mm-hmm. Um, which is an argument we hear all the time, which is fine. I get it. But I was just, it was just interesting how it kind of tied with our yeah. To the Republic. No, I mean, episode. I know, I know people who, um, I, who have who feel like you know why don't why not just get an ID mm-hmm. like it's not that hard yes and he makes it's, that argument most of the time it's free mm-hmm. yes it's an inconvenience because he says like I wish I'd never had to show my ID mm-hmm. but that's what we need to have in order to have make sure we have secured elections make right sure we have a secured border whatever um, make sure that you're uh, you know you you can legally vote in the United States you're not a criminal um, yeah and, and, but then the one thing I didn't like is that he one is that he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't even mention that voter i voter fraud in person voter fraud mm-hmm. which voter id laws are meant to uh stop from happening you know meant or, or to keep that from happening yes what do we find and we talked about into the republic that's yeah. 31 out of 1 billion votes yeah. cast yeah well yeah it's just addressing uh, and that's when i get into the next thing is like he's as you said as the book goes further it gets better and it this is this is where i see it getting real worse or real bad um is he gets into an argument over who is more sensible and he's literally arguing fox or cnn okay i don't remember that chapter. yeah and i just i'm like i put in here i roll <laughs> because i was like okay here we go and and then the next thing in chapter eight that pack of lies that he gets into i think Harper's back to that that re- interaction with the the mm-hmm. women. No means no, because he and then this is the racial thing that I really just don't. It, it's 
kind of rubs me the wrong way is he talks about this interaction with while he's smoking cigarettes mm-hmm. and his interaction with Oh, yes, Amber, I, rem- I remember this story. Okay, so he's smoking cigarettes or cigarette and they don't like it and they're like, hey, put that out. And he says that he can't say anything to them because he's a white man. Oh, I don't remember that. Yeah. That's interesting. He says, I know that if I say something, then I have now, you know, as a white man, I'm, I can't say that because of all of this racial sensitivity. Mm-hmm. And the whole time I'm like, oh boy. Um, but, it, and that's what I, I continue to start seeing as the book furthers is a lot more of these personal stories that then he use he uses them as a jumping off point of, of why how the world is so sensitive to and why mm-hmm. everything's so hard, which I think is the exact antithesis to what the book is. If you're going to say like, Hey, this is why we're all soft and we shouldn't, you know, this is how we, uh, overcome phony outrage. Every chapter and later in the book is about how these, how he's dealt with something and how he feels about it. Mm-hmm. And it, it just seems like, well, dude, you sound like you're pretty outraged by this whole interaction with these African-American women. Yeah. Um, and then he gets into like this whole like how smokers, he literally says smokers are the target of a society that has moved to tolerate more. So now they've, they've because they're trying to tolerate everyone, well, nobody likes a smoker, so let's shit on the smokers. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I mean, but... You can see kind of see where his argument goes. Like you can't smoke uh, in, yeah. in public building. You can't smoke right. in, like, in even private buildings. You can't like in Oregon. You can't smoke in private buildings. Mm-hmm. Like the, the the smoking section is not a thing anymore. You have to go outside. Mm-hmm. You can't smoke within so many feet. Like there's yes. there's public and uh, there's all sorts of public rules about where you can and can't smoke. All yes. these taxes on top of sm- on top of smoking, and then um, and then there. I, yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> I guess I can kind of see where he's coming from. Right. But I mean, even that, even that's, I don't know, but he, what you're saying, yes, is, is kind of a societal thing. Mm-hmm. He's coming from a very personal point of view. Like he's personally attacked as a well, he's but I mean, I guess, but I didn't, I don't remember this yeah, part of the yeah. chapter. So I'm just remembering what you said about it. And that's saying that he's saying that society has shifted and is now it, it's to a place where they want to shit on this cigarette yes, smoker yes so it's a societal change and and then now that societal change is now turned and it's it's rearing it's 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 ugly it's head at smokers who mm-hmm. are now a marginalized yes little portion <laughs> of the population yeah and he's thinking that society is now trying to force him yeah to stop smoking mm-hmm. yeah they want to tell him how to live his life no 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 i know yeah but I, ugh. and then they're doing that through institutions. They're doing that through social pressure. Yeah, through people's thinking that they can. They're sitting down. They're sitting near him, and they think that because they're in the majority and they're not a smoker, because mm-hmm. it's it's better to be not a smoker. They can pass judgment on him in a public way for smoking. Right. Hmm. That's how I remember that. Yeah. Okay. I yeah I I don't think that that's not what he's saying I just think it just seems a little whiny. Well yeah he's very whiny and <laughs> he I think a lot of the re, me reading through this yeah. a lot of ways you see this whining crop up today in yeah. the rhetoric used by Trump supporters. Mm-hmm. 
Oh yeah, consistently that oh, they're yeah. the victims. Well, the white males yes. are the victims. The Christians are the victims, and he does. On that point, I'm thinking you always see constantly how they're always pointing out liberal snowflakes and how sensitive they are. Mm-hmm. But then immediately... If you say something about the Donald... They'll start ca- crying or complaining about something mm-hmm. and you'll always see in comment sections liberals saying, wait, we're the, we're the babies, yeah. we're the snowflakes, yeah. and they're... It's like both know, of you are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're all offended. <laughs> um, one term he uses over and over is repressive tolerance. What I thought was interesting, so a passive acceptance of social and government practices, policies, and actions which restrict freedom in an absolute sense. Okay. So he's just using that as as kind of a danger or a warning. Sure. If you're too tolerant, it's repressive mm-hmm. tolerance, and then you're okay with more governance and restricting your freedoms, I think is what he's getting at. Yeah, and as like, a, as, like as, a, guy, as yeah, as a guy who's I think he's he may not be the perfect libertarian, but he definitely is libertarian. Yeah, um, that would make sense. I mean, he doesn't want any sort of government intrusion in his life. Mm-hmm. He constantly talked about because he was uh, about how B- Bloomberg soda tax. He's like, I'm so tired of Big Brother telling me how yes. to eat. Yeah, 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 yeah. Telling me what I can put in my body. He's like, mm-hmm. I'm tired of it. Mm-hmm. And he's honestly like, Greg Gutfeld to his credit is very, very, very. Uh, Pro gay rights. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the, government the not telling government people what how, to do. how they can yeah. live their lives. Okay. Who, who they, yeah. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, he's he's just a very interesting guy, and there's a lot of um, a lot of the stuff you hear today because this book was written 2012. Was it 2012? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's yeah. later than I thought it was, <laughs> but it was definitely pre-Trump era. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, I think yeah, you yeah. can definitely see. Like Christians thinking they're the ones under attack, mm-hmm. and he's saying like in in this book you are the ones under attack. You're not the cool people. Yeah, the cool. Yes, people, he does say that. The elite. Talks about the tea there's, party. There's a lot of like yeah. He and I think he he honestly he rightfully points it out. Like I don't. He's not wrong. Mm-hmm. The way that the the way that tea, the Tea Party movement was. I thought that part was okay. Was yeah. uh what was portrayed in the in the mm-hmm. in the media mm-hmm. in media versus how Occupy Wall Street yes. was portrayed vastly different yes and um versus you know shitting on the streets in protests or like peaceful protests it just because it's an older group or you know you know what i mean mm-hmm. they're not as exotic in their they're, in, they're in their your, like, as he puts protests. it they're they're your mom and your dad yeah your grandpa and your grandma who have jobs but felt like this was a worthy enough cause yeah, to, if you're to protesting and, after 5 p.m you're lame <laughs> So, right yeah right, yeah i mean in um, and that's how it's 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 it was it displayed or showed in the media yeah i think he has a great point mm-hmm. in that yeah and, and i think that gets to um my larger point that um people feel like pointing out that if you if you say one thing like in, in an anecdote something i saw yesterday uh about so you saw that in the miss universe pageant the uh, the the contestant from Spain was a trans was the very was the first mm-hmm. transgender mm-hmm. woman to mm-hmm. compete in the Miss Universe mm-hmm. uh, pageant, and there was all there was a lot of people questioning. It's like, well, how can a man compete in a woman's competition? Yes, and there was a lot of not dialogue, which you're not gonna I guess you're not gonna find in a comment section, but like everybody like you're transphobic, and that's mm-hmm. like or like laying these these labels on people who just legitimately had concern like 
I don't know, cons- cons- I don't know if you call them concerns yeah. or an opinion. Opinion, I think. And then they just get lamb blasted as transphobic. Right. And I think that's where, or I think, and you have to, you have to be okay with everything. Otherwise, you're seen as intolerant. Mm-hmm. You have, you have to accept everything we decide needs to be tolerated, because I think that's, I think, at the root of what Godfeld is saying mm-hmm. is that you, the people, if you're a white Christian male in the United States, you don't get a say anymore right. on what should or shouldn't be tolerated what your what culture is going to be how basically any sort of decision making right that you have to now accept whatever the elite or the cool people mm-hmm. are saying needs to be tolerated and you have to come completely check every single box otherwise you're racist you're transphobic you're homo you're homophobic mm-hmm. you're 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 anti-immigrant everything mm-hmm. if you don't if you don't constantly get on board with every new fad of what mm-hmm. you need to tolerate, you're you're to be left out. You're an outsider. You're an uncool person. Yeah, I'll say socially. Yes. Oh, definitely. Because legislatively and in the government, it's all old white religious <laughs> men. <laughs> De- yes, for sure. So if you if you are feeling outcast or or kind of um, discriminated against, it's it's. I think it, the emphasis is socially, but I mean that's every day. Yeah. That's your everyday interaction. That's social media. That's that's you feeling like you don't have a voice socially, mm-hmm. which can be problematic. Yeah, and and I think Trump. I think people feel like Trump gave them a voice. Yes. Unfortunately, that voice is incre- is incredible. I mean, regardless of you can say like, oh, I don't want to be called a racist, but what we are saying is legitimately like objectively racist yes <laughs> yeah you deserve that label yes and but i don't know i, I don't know <laughs> i just had a legit like th- there's this one person who said your transphobia is boring and something else congratulations on being on the out on the wrong side of history i saw you say something like i'm not gonna get into transphobia or, or the, the 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 trans topic yes there's no point but you hate because i don't expression. i don't i don't know enough about trans rights trans like what Community. what are they what are they arguing yeah. for like what do they want i don't Society, know enough right. to even have like a legit conversation right. on it i'm too ignorant but I will say, if you say the words "wrong side of history," mm-hmm. you've never just studied the discipline. You said that. You hate that expression. I hate that expression. Tell me why. Oh man, <laughs> uh, goodness! I hate it. I don't like it because you can't place. You can't put today's. Yes. Norms and values yes. and and then try to hold the past to those norms and values because their culture, society, values, norms, beliefs, practices change constantly. Yes. Nothing is static. And to try to look at the past through the lens of today and the norms of today mm-hmm. skews how you see the past. And I think it can be dangerous in st- when studying it because mm-hmm. I think it gives you a distorted view of, of the past. And you're, I think, honestly, it, it it actually dooms you to make similar mistakes. Yeah, I'm wondering about like social context of a time or of, of like a major event. So Nazi party. At the time, I'm sure all of those people didn't think it was a bad idea. It just so happens that now we're removed from it and we saw what happened that we can say, oh, if you were a supporter of the Nazi party, you were on the wrong side of history. So I'm not saying that in in, in, mm-hmm. in, in regards to trans yeah. issues. But what I'm saying is that what if there's an issue today or an idea today that everybody socially backs and then 
50 years from now, we're like, oh, they were on the wrong side of history. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That expression is problematic. What's Yeah, what's right and what's wrong is socially de- is socially determined anyway. Yes, yes. That's why I wanted yeah. you to, to explain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, one last thing I think that, towards the end of the book, he's talking about, um, uh, I think he's, ta- it's chapter 10, I don't remember what the name of the chapter was, but he's talking about um, uh, Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And people like kind of being forced into apologizing um, this uh, again, getting on the liberal conservative argument as he does throughout the book. But he talks about, um, you know, how messed up it is that um, some comedians uh, he uses Janine. I have it here. Janine Garofalo might be racist for suggesting that a black candidate for the Republican par- party for president is a plant. And how she got shit on for that mm-hmm. um, because that's, you know, they can't think for themselves. That's what he argues like you're that's racist. Yeah. But then but then he argues that if an individual in Hollywood makes a mistake or says something like that, that might be offensive, that the pursuit of furthering your understanding or knowledge of a group of people or or anything mm-hmm. that. You're a bitch for doing that. Like he kind of says like you're, you're a pussy for apologizing is what he's saying. So so he says like he uses multiple instances where actors have said something that was offensive. And then he uses uh, what's his name from Seinfeld. When, Jerry, oh, Kramer. Yes. Like Kramer. When he was yelling at that dude in the crowd mm-hmm. and calling him the N word yeah. over and over. Well, then he went and left to another country for four months and. Gutfeld talks about this and then how he comes back and he's like, hey, like I've experienced it kind of makes me think about your ideas is mm-hmm. expanding your circle and interacting. And he may be full of shit in his apology. He may be just saying what needs to be said in order to to be integrated back into Hollywood. Um, and he uses other examples of actors doing the same thing, saying something offensive, leaving the countries, kind of distancing themselves from Hollywood, then coming back and saying, hey, like I have a better understanding of of culture and people and I'm sorry for what I said here are the things that I'm trying to do to better society that we live in today Mm -hmm. and he shits on that if they're doing it inauthentically then you have every right to shit on it but that idea of trying to make yourself more understanding and better I don't think warrants that yeah I would agree Gutfeld's probably trying to say that he was um pressured into making that apology that exactly yeah yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but again i think that, that, that we don't know um, you know nobody's gonna admit i was pressured into this so i could keep my sure. job in hollywood the other thing about hollywood <laughs> is that he talks about is like the inconsistencies and the outrage from from uh uh from from liberal uh movie stars mm-hmm. and uh liberal actors yeah is that when a conservative actor or a conservative politician says something, there's all of this, um, we're going to try to get him out of office. We're mm. going to blacklist them in mm-hmm. Hollywood. But if something happens from, on the uh, if, if a liberal, if someone who is part of the cool club, right. the intolerati um, that Gutfeld labels them as, mm-hmm. um, if you say something that's racist, as long as you have that liberal brand, you're protected. Mm-hmm. They're not going to police. They don't police their own. Right. They're they're going to come after you and try to ruin your life for for words that you've said. Right. But they're not going to police their own. And I think 
time has actually proven Gutfeld wrong on that. Yeah. Especially with a lot of the, uh, especially with the Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. How many, um, how many act- actors um, have now been completely shunned mm-hmm. and oh, lost their yeah. jobs when stuff came out that they did that they did wrong? Yeah, look absolutely. In, look at in with the Democratic Party and the politician Al mm-hmm. Franken. Mm-hmm. I was thinking Al, about Al that. Al Franken left office was was pressured out of office. Right. Because of allegations against him, right? So I think time has actually proven Gutfeld wrong mm-hmm. on that on that mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Anyway, well, I think that's all I have. I think I think overall, I think he had some great. I, I think the the and the initial ideas of this thin line between tolerance and intolerance is a great. It's a thought provoking idea, mm-hmm. and it's fun to kind of explore and chat about. You and I have done it um, multiple times, but. Um, and I thought that was the best part of the book. Uh, I think that uh, you'd have to read it again or read it, but I think that a lot of what he he brings up and and jumps from are all these personal instances. Even even Occupy Wall Street. <clears throat> uh, I think the the point you made is fair mm-hmm. as far as the way it's portrayed in the media. But it, I think it all stemmed from, especially this negative attitude towards it, is he's walking by it every day because yeah. he lived in New York. Mm-hmm. He's seeing it, so I think that that. Yeah, but you see that today with the with um, uh, Patriot Prayer saying they're portrayed one way, but the but Antifa is, is not portrayed in a negative right in, mm-hmm. in a negative way, and they're just as any every bit as violent, right? In their protesting, right? And they're the ones actually shutting down roadways and keeping people from being able to go to work. Yes, so I, I, so I think you see that's the same the same complaint from the right. right as you did back then. Too. I think me just being a nerd, I'm expecting him to stick more factually <laughs> instead. Oh, of- there's nothing factual about this. He claims that the United States is the only state that doesn't, uh, is not allowed to have a border. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which is ridiculous because <clears throat> the EU has an open, that's the reason why England left, Bra- why Great Britain left Brexit. Yeah. The United Kingdom left Brexit is because of the open border policy right. of the EU. Right. It, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's all, it's all those like things where, you know, it, it's dangerous because, while other people might be nodding, yes, yes, I'm doing the dog head tilt. Like, oh, I think you're right. Uh, he was definitely wrong on the border thing. Yeah, like he said, like France has like like defends its border with tanks. Yes, and like that's not true. Yeah, like that's just yeah. not true. France uh, has a high high immigration right. rate. Anyway, I do appreciate the suggestion for mm-hmm. reading it because yeah. I, you know, how much I like kind of getting into the mindset or ideas of, of, of those who think differently than me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been watching more and listening to more uh, right-wing podcasts and, and YouTube channels and stuff, and this was, I think, kind of fits into that idea of understanding. But also, it's thought-provoking. It gets me to think differently about maybe things that I was set in my ways and maybe now having a new perspective. Yeah. So thank you. you. You're welcome. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. F- for what you got out of it, um, it is definitely a, a insight into early, um, kind of early Trumpism. Yes, uh, I agree. So it, it it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting delve into it. Don't take anything that is written in here as factual. Yes. As you pointed out, yes. uh, mostly this is just his. Uh, as you say, as your biggest critique is, that these are just his observations. Yes. Yeah. And then he tries to extrapolate off of his yeah. personal observations yep. and anecdotes. Um, so it's definitely a book that if you're you you will if you're looking for it, if you want if you want an echo chamber, go buy this book. <laughs> you know, buy this book and read it. Right. It gives you that echo chamber you're probably mm-hmm. seeking. But right. uh, I think it's good know. to expose yourself to other ideas, guys. Check it out. Yeah. Uh, Jake, this has been fun. It's always fun, man. Um, 
I'll see you next year. Yeah, next year. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, check us out on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And uh, thanks for listening, as always. Uh, we'll see you guys next year as well. Yep. Bye, 2018. Bye. Bye.